have a special guest today, and uh, Ephraim Smith is a pastor out in Sacramento, California at Bayside, and they are multi-campus congregation. Matter of fact, Outreach Magazine said that Bayside is the fastest growing church in America right now. And it, God is doing an incredible thing. And I saw Ephraim speak back in 2007 at what's called the Global Leadership Summit. And uh, it's a broadcasted leadership event to over 100,000 leaders across the world. And I remember back in 2007 when I just started ministry, I remember hearing Ephraim speak going, man, God is doing an incredible thing in and through him. And so I'm not surprised that God is continuing to do this work. Uh, but what, what has happened is this, I had scheduled to have Ephraim come here and speak in August, and then when we went through a tragedy here as a church family, we shifted our series around, and I said, Ephraim, can you come back later? You know, and he said, hey, I can come back in November, and so my man has already written two sermons for us, right? And he's only going to be able to preach one uh, so far, and, uh, but this is his heart, he's going, anything you need. And what's so incredible about this is today, as we continue in our series, Fight For It, what we're talking about is this. We're talking about fighting for our purpose in our relationships. Because here's what's happened. In our relationships, when we lose our purpose, whether it's marriage, whether it's friendship, whether it's our family, here's what happens. We cause a lot of pain. We cause a lot of pain to other people. And this is why our relationships, and this is why Ephesians 4 that we're going through is so important. Because especially as Christians, not just the world, but as Christians, if we're not careful, we will cause the most pain to those that we love the most. That's why even Ephraim Smith, his latest book is called Killing Us Softly. It's all about finding our purpose and direction and guidance in the way of Jesus. We actually have some copies out in the resource center you can pick up today. I think Ephraim might even be out there if you want to say hello. Uh, but church, I am so excited to have one of my ministry heroes that began to, to pour into me. And here's a cool thing. I only met him yesterday, right? And so for 15 years or whatever, I've been stalking him on Twitter. And uh, that's not how I emailed him. I am your Twitter stalker. But I said, hey, please come and preach. And so Northside family, would you welcome Ephraim Smith? to the stage. Well, it is a joy to be here at Northside Christian Church, and I'm just, uh, uh, just so humbled and uh, grateful that your pastor, uh, Pastor Nate, would invite me to preach here. Uh, just the uh, little bit of time that my wife, Denisha, have had with him and his wife, Ruthie, and some other folks, uh, I, I can just tell you have a great pastor here in Pastor Nate Ross. So I want to step into this Fight for It series, Love in a Hate-Filled World, dealing with relationships by going back to Ephesians 4, where you've already been as a church. We're going to look at Ephesians 4, just one verse, verse 28. Paul writes and he says this, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. From this verse, verse 28 of Ephesians 4, I want to speak to you on the title, The Fight for Your Purpose. The Fight for Your Purpose or How to Avoid Relational Robbery. God, I pray that this would be your message, that ultimately you would be speaking, and I would just be the vehicle, the vessel you've decided to use to say what you want to say. To these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers, God, I desire to be obedient to your word. 
So please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. The fight for your purpose or how to avoid relational robbery. The verse here, Ephesians 4.28, is about stealing. Now, I wouldn't even want to be accused of stealing, much less caught stealing, much less guilty of stealing. I'm originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's where me and my wife, Denisha, are from. Uh, We've been married 26 years. We have two daughters, Jada and Maria. And uh, I've known Denisha since high school. So uh, I I asked her out, you know, in high school, and she hasn't been able to shake me since. I mean, she tried to break up with me like two or three times, but here we are, still together. Um, Now, growing up in Minnesota, uh, it gets cold. I know you think it's cold here right now in Indiana, but man, Minnesota cold. I mean, I mean, growing up as a kid, my parents, my grandmother on my mother's side, I mean, when they would send me out as a kid, I mean, they would, I mean, I'd have to have my warm pants on and a shirt on and, and a sweater on and my scarf and my jacket and my mittens and my knit cap and my hood. I mean, I felt like I was walking around like winter Frankenstein. I mean, just the way they would make me dress up when I was a kid to make sure I was warm in the winter months in Minnesota. Now, I would go to my grandmother's house when it would snow because if I would shovel her snow really well, if I did a good job getting the snow off the sidewalk and such, she would give me uh, some money and I would go to the 7-Eleven down the street and get a Twinkie. I mean, like, I just, that was my reward if I would shovel my grandmother's, uh, you know, sidewalk really well. She'd give me some money, I would go get Twinkie. So one particular time, I shoveled the snow really well. She gave me some money. I went to 7-Eleven. And uh, again, you know, she, she made sure I was dressed warm. So I'm going to the 7-Eleven and I've got my flannel shirt on and my sweater and my scarf and my heavy jacket and the hood and the, the mittens on. And so I get into the 7-Eleven and I go down the aisle where the Twinkies are and um, I take off my gloves, put it in my pocket so I can get the Twinkie. And then, you know, with all these clothes on, you get inside and hit the heat and you start itching. So it's like I needed to scratch my back. So I, I lift it under my jacket, under my sweater, and I scratch my back. And then I uh, put my jacket back down, my sweater back down and such. And I grabbed the Twinkies and I went to the counter and I put my money up there. I was so happy and excited for to put my shovel to snow money up there and the Twinkies. And, and the man looked at me behind the counter and he said, what else do you have, young man? And I said, nothing. And he said, I saw you put your hand up your jacket. And so in the midst of being accused of stealing, I had to take my jacket off and lift up my sweater to prove to the man behind the counter that I only had the Twinkies to purchase and I did not steal anything. Uh, Just the accusation of stealing was so heavy on me, I didn't even eat the Twinkies right away. I mean, I got over it soon and ate the Twinkies, but I mean, I remember walking home. I mean, you can't just not eat the Twinkies, but I mean, but I mean, I went home and I, I, was, I was just, I was burdened. Just the, the heaviness of being accused of stealing. I also know what it's like to be injured by stealing. Soon after my wife, Denise, and I were married, my parents' house that I grew up in South Minneapolis, my dad came home from work one day and there were fire engines in front of our house. 
smoke all over the place. Some folks had broken into my parents' house, the house of my upbringing, not only stole things, but shot up the house and set it on fire. We didn't even understand why this would happen to us. My parents, you know, they, they would, you have insurance kick in and they would, they, you know, they would renovate the house and it, it felt like new when they were back in it, but after a couple years, it just wasn't the same. They couldn't get past the feeling, the injury of invasion, of robbery. And so they moved. There's something about stealing, the heaviness upon the person that has been accused of stealing, that is guilty of stealing, but the injury when you feel stolen from. Psychology Today in March 2017 did an article, psychologists trying to study why people steal. They interviewed people that were willing to be transparent about why they stole something. Some person said, everybody does it. That was their reason for stealing. Another person said, well, the store overcharges. They're not going to miss it. The people that I stole from were rich, so there's no way they're going to miss what, what I've taken. They have more than they need. Somebody said it boosts their self-esteem. They felt appreciated when they stole things for their friends. They didn't feel appreciated at home. They didn't feel loved as a kid, but they had some sense of appreciation and love that they were somebody when they would steal for their friends and see the gratification on their friends' faces when they would give them stolen possessions. Others said that there was a rush or a high that they received from stealing. And some said just because they lacked, just because they didn't have enough. They felt that they, they deserved or they needed to steal. What if, sisters and brothers, at the foundation of it? I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but I wonder, at, at, at the end of the day, is stealing an identity issue? Is stealing a purpose issue? Or maybe it could be that stealing is about a dysfunctional, a warped, a wrong identity, a false identity, and stealing is also about a lack of true, real, productive purpose. Now, you may be thinking, well, this sermon is not for me because I've, I've never stole anything. I mean, I'm not a thief. I'm not a robber. I've never been accused. I've never been guilty. And so, you know, I can check out of this sermon. Well, don't check out yet, sisters and brothers, because when Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, and when he presents what we called verse 28 of what we call chapter 4 in the midst of this letter he's writing to a church why would he write to a church when he's talking to them about how they would live together how they would grow together in Christ to tell them not to steal to work to do something useful with their hands to share with those in need I mean I bet you'd be surprised if you if you came to this church and you're like yes I'm going to join this church I want to go to, to the meeting. I want to go to whatever is going on so I can figure out how I can be committed to this church. And the first meeting you went to at Northside Christian Church, they said, we just want you to know around here at this church, we don't steal. 
Here's our vision statement. Here's our faith statements. Here's a little bit of our history and staff, but we just want you to know, don't steal here at Northside Christian Church. There's no stealing. You would go, why'd they tell me that? What do they think I've done? You'd be offended. You go, I don't even know if I want to join the church now because they told me that at this church they don't steal. What are they trying to say? Maybe there's something deeper that Paul is trying to get at as he writes to this church in Ephesus. Is he presenting robbery, stealing as a relational issue? as a community issue. Maybe without knowing it, without acknowledging it, you and I are more robbers than we think we are, relationally. Could it be that you and I have found ourselves from time to time committing relational robbery, stealing emotionally, intellectually, spiritually from people we are in community with, our neighbors, our co-workers, our co-students, our spouses, people we love. We don't want to do this. We don't mean to do this. It's not our motive. It's not our intention to do it, but we find ourselves stealing from one another in relationships. Well, if I'm going to use the term relational robbery, I probably should define what that means. Uh, Relational robbery, we'll define it as the act of stealing love, identity, and purpose from others because you don't know God's purpose for your own life. Let me say that again. Relational robbery is the act of stealing love, identity, and purpose from others because you don't know God's purpose for your own life. The big idea of this sermon, sisters and brothers, is this. Beloved and purpose-filled people navigate relationships better than broken and petty-filled people. Are you and I, more than we want to admit, finding ourselves committing relational robbery? So let's look at some, some points briefly on how to stop committing relational robbery. Let us go back here to Ephesians 4, verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. How to stop committing relational robbery? One, don't steal work. This is about confront. Don't steal work. Ah, sisters and brothers, if we want to stop committing relational robbery, if we want to avoid ever committing relational robbery, don't steal work. Confront. This means we must confront the thief, the robber in our soul. We must confront our dark side. We must confront the person in us that would steal emotionally, intellectually, spiritually from people 
people we are in relationship with. There is a robber in me. There is a robber in you. There's a burglar somewhere in your soul. There's a thief in your soul. There's a thief in my soul. And I have to acknowledge it. I have to admit it. I have to present it before God so that God can kill it softly with his love. So that God can dismantle it. So that day by day I am not the robber. I am the revolutionary of Christ. I'm not the thief. I'm the testimony of God. Well, how do you confront the robber? How can it be dismantled? Yes, present yourself before God, but also find your purpose. Find your purpose. Discover who you really are in God. You want to be a purpose-filled person, not a petty-filled person. Ah, what's pettiness? Being petty, it, it, petty, the definition is of little importance, trivial. If you want to step away from being a petty-filled person, it starts with knowing how important how wonderfully made, how beloved by God you are. You are not of little importance. You are not trivial. You are not petty. You are not minuscule. You are God's creation. You have a purpose. You are talented. You are gifted. You're not the petty. You are the purposed. And so you should go into relationships with your purpose. People that go into relationships with no purpose can relationally rob the people they're with who have purpose. I don't know my purpose, so I'm just going to steal yours. I don't know my purpose. I don't know that I'm, that, that, I'm, that I'm meaningful. I don't know that I'm important. So I'll just, I'll just steal your importance. I'll just rob you of what's in you because I don't know who I am. You don't go into a relationship to find your purpose. Your intimate relationship with the creator of the universe defines your purpose so that you step into human relationships with a purpose. Don't, don't step into a marriage if you don't know your purpose. If you're single and you have no idea what your purpose is in God, it is not the right time for you to step into a marriage relationship. You'll just have two petty people just stealing from each other in a marriage. You want to be filled with God's purpose, knowing you're gifted, knowing you're wonderfully made, knowing you're amazing, knowing you're talented, and then when you get two God-purposed people like that in a covenant relationship of marriage, they can change the world. If your kids know their purpose, if you tell them when they're little, you're made in the image of God, you're deeply loved, you're wonderful, there's a purpose on your life, you, you, are, you are empowering them. Go into relationships knowing that God has a purpose for your life. Don't steal work. Confront the thief, the robber in you. Find your purpose. How to stop committing relational robbery? Two, do something useful. Create. Ah, yes, it says here, um, but, but work. Doing something useful with their own hands. Do something useful Create. You were made to create. When human beings were made in the image of God, they were to go 
as the image bearers of God and be fruitful, flourish, thrive, create, subdue as God's wonderfully made vessels. Yes, do something useful, create. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's handiwork. Your life is meant to be poured out from God's hands. God created you. This is laid out in the very beginning of the Bible. You were made different than the animals. You were made higher than the angels. You were made in God's image. You are God's handiwork. It says here that, that you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now this created in Christ Jesus, it could be telling us two things. One, it could be letting us know that Jesus existed as part of God as part of the Trinity in the very beginning when God three in one was creating the heavens and the earth. When God was, was creating the animals in the sky and the animals on the ground and the animals in the water. When God was creating a humanity in God's own image that Jesus existed then as well. We're created to do good works in Christ Jesus. It could also be saying that because of sin, we are recreated back to who we were supposed to be in the first place in Jesus Christ because sin pulls us away from who we were created to be. You are made in God's image. You are loved by God. You are gifted by God. Then what went wrong? What causes us to commit relational robbery? We were created in God's image. Well, what happened is a serpent came. An evil one came. Satan came to disrupt the intimate relationship we were supposed to have with God and the right relationships we were supposed to have with each other as human beings. It's sin that disrupted. It's the serpent. It's the deceiver. It's the liar that disrupted this. We were supposed to live as one human family in right relationship with one another, and the serpent came, and it messes with marriage. It messes with siblings. I mean, could you imagine when God made humanity, God made one human family, God did not make human beings like animals. God didn't say, I'm making white types and black types and brown types and red types and yellow types. God made one humanity. We were supposed to flourish as one, diverse, this multi-ethnic mosaic just going around the whole planet. And we were going to be diverse and beautiful and connected to God and in harmony with one another. It is sin that divides us and separates us and breaks. It's, it's, it's a deceiver. It's an evil evil force that creates categories and who's better and who's smarter and who's faster and who can clap on beat and who shouldn't bother. It's a deceiver <laughs> that does this. We were meant to be one in right relationship, not to rob from one another, 
not to steal our humanity from one another, not to steal dignity from one another, not to steal hope from one another, not to steal love and grace from one another, not to steal peace from one another, not to steal an opportunity to progress, to be free. Ah, we, we should not be stealing from one another. It is a deceiver, a serpent that caused all this. And it's why in Jesus Christ we can get back to who we were supposed to be. Do something useful. You were made by God. You're loved by God. You've been gifted by God. Do not let any serpent, any evil force or evil spirit keep you from being the creative, innovative, blessed being that you are supposed to be. Do something useful with your life. How to stop committing relational robbery, don't steal work, confront, do something useful, create, and three, share with those in need, contribute. Back to Ephesians verse 4, this one verse 28, that they may have something to share with those in need. You were made to make a difference. Yes. You were made to be a blessing. From the moment you were born, no, from the moment you were conceived, you were meant to be a blessing. How it's supposed to work is when a woman realizes she's pregnant, it's supposed to be a blessing. It's not supposed to be a disturbance. It's not supposed to be a disappointment. It's not supposed to be, what am I going to do about this? It's supposed to be a blessing. I mean, when, when the mother of Jesus found herself mysteriously pregnant, then an angel came so she could realize this is a blessing. When you find out you're pregnant, it's supposed to be a blessing. When the baby is born, how it's supposed to be is the mother and father just looking at each other with just melty Google eyes, holding the baby going, this is a blessing. It's not supposed to be, what are we going to do with this? <laughs> this is what it is? What are we going to do? No. It's supposed to be a blessing. Is this how I hold the head? Is, is this what I'm supposed to do? I didn't even change a diaper before. Is, She's so precious. He's so precious. From the moment you're conceived, you're supposed to be a blessing. When you come out of your mother's womb, you're supposed to be a blessing. And your whole life, it's growing and maturing and being a blessing. You were born to make a difference. We're not supposed to rob each other in relationships. We're supposed to resource each other in relationships. We're not supposed to steal joy from each other. We're not supposed to steal hope from each other. We're not supposed to steal uh, peace from each other. We're supposed to resource each other with peace. When you feel like you don't have enough peace, I have peace for you. 
When you feel like you don't have enough strength, I have strength for you. When you feel like you don't have enough forgiveness, I have some. And when I don't have some, you resource me. When I'm low, you resource me. And we're both trusting in faith that God is resourcing us both. It's like the best you can do in a marriage, the best you can do in a friendship, the best you can do in raising kids, the best you can do with your neighbors is say, God, love through me today. Fuel me today. Fill me with peace and love and compassion and graciousness. Fill me with, 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 with truth and character and integrity. Fill me with justice and humility and kindness and perseverance so that I can resource somebody else with what you're filling me up with. Love my wife through me. Love my kids through me. Love my neighbors through me. Love my coworkers through me. Love my enemies through me. Fuel me that I can resource people, not rob people. That is the Christian life. Ah, maybe Paul is trying to show us so much more than we ever thought about stealing. You were made for compassion, mercy, justice, and generosity. So in closing, how to stop committing relational robbery? Surrender to love. Calling. Surrender to love. Ephesians 4, at the very beginning of the chapter, Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely, this is relational language, y'all. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let God resource you. If your fuel tank is low in your relationships, if you don't know how you're going to navigate relationships at work tomorrow, if you don't know how you're going to navigate relationships at school this week, if you don't know how you're supposed to deal with your neighbor, if you don't know how to re-engage a sibling that you haven't talked to in years, if you still haven't forgiven your father, if you still haven't forgiven the one that you went through a divorce with, I want to tell you today that God wants to resource you. You are not alone. You are not made to be on empty, in brokenness, in jealousy, in prejudice, in hurt, in abandonment, in neglect, in brokenness. God wants to bless you today with hope and joy and faith and love and grace and truth and forgiveness and compassion and generosity and kindness. God wants to love you so good that you won't know what to do with it. You don't have to say amen, but if you feel like it, you can. Surrender. Surrender to God's love today. Maybe that's what God has for you. God doesn't want you to feel guilty. God doesn't want you to feel shamed. God wants to encourage you today that your relationships can get better. If there was ever a time in this nation when we need to get relationships right, it's now. 
You're not going to learn this on cable news. I'm just telling you. You just... <laughs> you just... I'm sorry. You ain't... You... The church is the last hope to learn this. I, please don't get mad at me. You ain't going to learn this from politics. You ain't going to learn this to any of the worldly institutions. Even in this great country we live in, we got issues right now. We need Jesus. Like the real Jesus. Not, not, not no TV Jesus. Not no white Jesus, black Jesus, Democrat Jesus, Republican Jesus. We need like the Messiah Jesus. Like the Savior of the universe. That Jesus. He'll get your relationships right. Let's pray. If you're here today and you're like, I don't want to be a thief in my marriage with my children, with my neighbors, with my coworkers. I don't want to be a robber. I didn't even think I ever stole anything. And you want to live the revolutionary life, the purpose-filled life God has for you. Just raise your hand and say, that's me. That's me. That's me. God, I pray that you would return these raised hands with your love, with your grace, with your peace. Man, um, I hope this is okay, Pastor Nate. I, don't, I feel like I'm supposed to give you a bolder call than that. If you think right now with your spouse or just on your own, you just need to stand to claim that you want God to invade your relationships like never before, just stand. Just stand. No shame, no guilt, just stand. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving my relationships to God, my Lord. Now, maybe you've already done this, and you've already done this. You, don't, you could just sit down, and then we're just going to ask advice from you after the service in the lobby. How do you do it? God, we're surrendering right now to your love. We're surrendering our marriages, our parenting, how we navigate relationships in our neighborhoods, at work, at the grocery store, every relationship, we're surrendering it to you that we might be full of purpose, not full of pettiness. Let it be done, God, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God loves you, God loves you. You are dismissed.